Welcome to Zeitgeist Radio. I'm your host, Morgan Rowe, founder of the Zeitgeist Academy. Zeitgeist means spirit of the times, and it is the collection of cultural forces that all contribute to what it feels like to be alive and part of a dynamic culture. Every episode, I speak with someone from a unique musical subculture. We dig into their passion and explore how music is a powerful force that brings people together. Before we get into today's interview, make sure you head over to zeitgeistacademy.com and sign up for my newsletter. You'll get weekly mini lectures on cool musical facts, backgrounds on our amazing guests, and updates on what's going on with the Zeitgeist Academy. I'm always up to something. Head over to zeitgeistacademy.com. That's Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T academy.com. My guest today is Bridget Hawley, an audio software engineer in the LA area. Bridget, welcome to Zeitgeist Radio. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, So for our folks out there, could you describe yourself a little bit? Who are you and what's your relationship with music? My name is Bridget Hawley. I am an audio software engineer. I grew up in a piano studio. Uh, My mom's taught piano for 50 plus years at this point. And um, so from a very young age, I was surrounded by music and audio and um, it really impacted my life. And even when I was in my undergrad in college, I started as a civil engineer and I hated it. I got about a year and a half in and I was like, I can't do this. So um unsurprisingly i fell back into doing more music and relying on audio to like bring me happiness and um i kind of looked at it and was like is there anything i could do with a career here i knew i didn't want to be a teacher because i lived with one and i knew what that would be and so i didn't want to follow it is a thing (laughs) and i appreciate the teachers don't get me wrong same but it wasn't a path i wanted for myself so um with that in mind, I also had always really loved video games. Um, it was another one of the hobbies that I really enjoyed and still do to this day. Um, and I had, you know, thoughts and dreams of basically working on soundscapes for video games. And so I originally looked at doing like recording and stuff and that was fun, but it didn't like click for me. I started doing audio programming though, and that the rest is history but it's something that is literally like you said it's in our face every single day or in our ears every single day every day at least for me (laughs) there's always music in my life every day and i you know i don't have a clue how that happens (laughs) so i'm really excited for today uh i heard that you actually created your own major in college <laughs> yeah <laughs> technically how yeah. did you do that what led you to do that um so when so going back to the undergrad um Polly had the, the cal poly san lewis had a uh pilot program at the time which uh, i think it's been made official since then but basically the idea of it was that you could take an engineering form and combine it with kind of anything else but mostly geared towards arts so it was called liberal arts and engineering studies and the point of the program was that it was super flexible and so you could really combine any engineering with anything you could think of i know somebody who kind of wanted to go into forensics so they did biology and um i think they were doing more of a computer science lead with that one Um, And I know somebody else who wanted to go more into environmental testing. So they did environmental engineering and law was the other side. 
So like it was really a flexible program, which was really cool because there's not that many of those out there yeah. where it's like you have a goal in mind and you can kind of uh, custom make what you want, the classes you want to take and set yourself up for a better career. Um, and so that's basically what I did. Um, I tried electrical engineering for a little while. It wasn't really my thing. That's going more back to the hardware. Yeah. Uh, but programming and doing audio and a combination of music and uh, game development courses is what led me to creating a major. Wow. So okay, say. hold on. So like, what were some classes that you took for this? Um, well, uh, you know, if you remember, uh, <laughs> yeah. well, so you had your basic like, <laughs> 101 classes and stuff right related to uh you know all the 101s both on the music and computer science side but when you got to the higher divisions it was more like for the audio stuff i did recording and mastering and mixing i also did uh composition and a few other courses on the computer science side i did more of game development so it was like computer graphics and game design and a few other high-level classes like that. Ironically, I also took a couple high-level operating systems courses in computer science, which is more talking about how to uh, create and facilita facilitate operating systems, which is actually where I ended up in a career. Um, I'm better, I'm very good at it. I naturally, it comes easily for me somehow, I don't know yeah. why, but thinking in that manner, um, I, I'm happy with where I ended up in the sense of like, it's different than what I expected, but it's very fulfilling and I'm very lucky to be where I am. So, yeah. Nice. Okay. Wow. That was, that's so cool. Um, I cannot imagine knowing what like I wanted to do enough to create a major when I was like, oh, it's 20 hard. years old. I had no clue. <laughs> no, it's hard. Like my nephew is this is a tangent. He he's struggling to find a major right now. And I just look at him and he's like 21. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's okay. I, I know when I had out. to finally declare, I was so upset because I'm like, can I just not keep taking classes? And like, why do I have yeah. to choose something? <laughs> why do I have to finish? Oh, right. I, they charge yes. me a lot of money to be here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That means I should learn what I want. No, no. I, I, that's, that's just very, that's awesome. Uh, and then also, can you describe your master's degree? Because I think this is also super, super interesting. Sure. So um, my um, my first job out of college was working for an audio codec company. And through a few acquisitions, they kind of changed and uh, evolved into a newer company that had dreams of going into the shirt. So um, my first job out of college was working for an audio codec company. And through a few acquisitions, they kind of changed and uh, evolved into a newer company that had dreams of going into the machine learning space related to a variety of tech. And so when I learned about some of the things that they wanted to do, I started to imagine a future related to uh, machine learning and audio. Um, and to me, that actually has a lot of potential still to this day. I know a lot of people think of things like Siri or, uh, you know, most people are familiar with large language models, which are, you know, the things that you can see for ChatGPT. But machine learning has a lot of other applications. Um, and so for me, what I was thinking of is more personalization or things that would actually help accessibility for people related to audio. 
And so, uh, yeah, my master's, I decided to go get a machine learning degree um, with the hopes of being able to look at the future audio technologies. That's awesome. So can you describe the difference between machine learning and AI? Because I thought they were the same at first, but they are not the same. Right. They are slightly different. Um, you can think of AI as being like, so artificial intelligence is the idea of creating an entire entity. Um, machine learning is more about being able to create an algorithm uh, that can do one thing really, really well. So like you can honestly think of AI as being a brain and machine learning as being like a thought process. So like, for example, if you have a machine learning algorithm that's really good at identifying fruit, it's mm -hmm. going to suck at doing anything else. You don't want to give it like language. You don't want it like it's not going to know what to do with it. Um, it machine learning algorithms are generally very simplistic. Uh, yes, you can have things that learn and change behaviors and go certain directions. But again, that's because that's the thing you're trying to teach it to do. Um, it's it's like a verb. You can say a machine learning algorithm is the verb. The AI side is more of the the entire capacity of trying to have like a, I don't want to say sentient entity, but you can kind of understand what I'm saying. Something that can do everything and change its mind and uh, react to different scenarios, if that sure. makes sense. Yeah. So machine learning is almost like muscle memory. Like you just, it does the thing that it's yeah, been trained to much. do a thousand times. Basically, yes, yes. And I mean, honestly, when you get down to it, machine learning is just fancy statistics. It's really all it is. Sure. You collect a bunch of data and you train and test over that data. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, et cetera. But like, um, fundamentally, it's that is all it is. It's not smarter than that. It's not dumber than that. And that's why you can get biases really easily. That's also why you can get things like um, you know, the problems we see with like chat GPT, where it's like really, really sure it knows the answer or something when it's like has doesn't have all the facts or whatever. It's because it's the only data that it's been given. Right. And it's been told over and over. Yeah, that's right. Right. So, yeah. So what are some of the ways that you saw machine learning or that you see machine learning um, impacting? Like you mentioned accessibility. What are some examples of what that might look like? Well, so like there are technologies starting to come out that are related to um, being able to identify objects in a room, so to speak, like using your phone camera or something. Um, there's studies that have been doing this for a while. It's not really new. Um, but like, let's say you took that and combined it with, uh, you know, if you had somebody who was uh, visually impaired and you had something that could evaluate the surroundings for them in a room and maybe help them get around in a new space that they haven't been to before. Sure. Um, that's an example. Um, also, like, um, there's other situations where you could think about ha having people, not just with impairments, but like, let's say there's a fire in your house or something. Um, and like, you start to hear sounds and you're not home. Maybe your uh, Siri or whatever Alexa at home picks up on the sound of the fire alarm. It is able to send you an alert. That's not necessarily accessibility, but it's another case where you could have something that's listening for audio and using it in a way to uh, help create something that would, you know, improve your quality of life. Um, and that's the kind of thing I think you could do with a lot of machine learning tech. Just hasn't been entirely explored to the degree that I hope we will in the future. Um, I know we're going to, you're going to have to like translate 
a lot of this down because <laughs> you're really good at what you do. <laughs> and I, I am around a little tech, but uh, like, okay, so pretend I'm a five-year-old. <laughs> How would you describe what you do? All right. So I could take this a couple ways. I'm assuming that you want to know a little bit more about how uh, audio works I would in love the digital that. space. Okay. So um, at a high level, I, and somebody who's got a physics degree can talk more about the actual science behind it if you want. But at a high level, audio is wavelengths that travel through the air. It's just waves. And yes. it's just stuff, particles hitting, you know, creating stuff that goes through the air, right? Uh, so the way that recording works or anything that's transferred from the analog to the digital space is that you have a microphone or something that uh, captures samples, which are basically the compression of the wavelengths. And then, um, well, so that's what comes in on the mic. And then what the mic does from there, it takes samples. And so the samples basically, you know, everybody's seen like the normal sine wave, right? That represents a lot of audio. Mm -hmm. So samples are taken periodically throughout that wave. And so um, what happens and when you start to get digital artifacts is if you don't have a high enough sample rate is you only capture pieces of the wave. So like when you have this nice curve to start with, right, you start to get jagged steps going one way or the other because it's not, you know, uh, high fidelity enough. And that's where the sampling rate stuff comes in. And that's why it makes a difference is the more that you take, the more accurate you are to a sine wave or whatever wave you're reproducing. Sure. And that's how you can get um, and that's why also artificial sounds sound different than the real world sound, aside from the harmonics that are part of it, too, which is another part of, again, physics would be better to explain that part. But if you just think of each sound as an individual wavelength, that's where the sampling rate comes in and why it's important to have the correct uh, ratio, because the more samples you take, the bigger the file. And that's the downside, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's how the data is converted to something that the computer can record. Now, when it's converted into something that it stores in memory, it is still converted to bits. So, you know, your zeros and ones. So that's something that also comes into it. So like when you see 32-bit or 16-bit uh, recordings, it's related to how, so like all those individual samples that I just talked about along that sine wave, they're all mapped to a specific uh, code, a specific sequence of bytes, bits, bytes. Um, and so like, if you don't have enough bits to represent the full wave, you're going to lose some more features of it, right? Um, whether or not that means you drop a sample or you compensate, like there's a couple different ways you can do it, but you can kind of visualize like if you have a range that's too big and all of a sudden you can't retain those samples, it changes what it sounds like, right? Right. So all of that stuff is what goes into audio transitioning from analog to di digital. So from there, um, how it gets to you as a consumer is slightly dependent on the content creators. And when I say content creator, that can literally mean anything from music artists to uh, production companies for like movies, anything that creates and produces audio that you listen to, basically, you can think of literally, um, even Spotify, right? That's a form of a streaming platform. Right. Um, and so... When you publish something, generally people are somewhat familiar with uh, different types of file formats. So like talking about your 
your your raw PCM is very rare to see transferred around because it again it's it's uncompressed. It's everything that's as close to the original as you could possibly get. What does PCM stand for? Uh, pulse compression modulation, oh. I think. I honestly, it's one of those things where you just say it enough that you right. kind of forget. <laughs> okay. You know what it is, and you kind of forget what it stands for. But I'm pretty sure that's it's something like that, anyways. But that's but, the raw the raw data sort of of yes. the of the sound being put from the wave that I'm speaking into the computer that's recording this conversation. Exactly. Yep. Yep. PCM. Yep. Okay. And so that's the rawest, the closest thing you can get to the original analog signal. And so from there, generally speaking, the audio is compressed in some format. There's a bunch of them. They exist, like if you talk to different platforms, different content producers, I mean, Apple has their own, Microsoft has their own, uh, everything. And like I spoke about working for an audio codec company, that was one of the things that we did was write compression algorithms to take these uh, bigger sequences of data and compress them down into smaller things that can be easier transferred. Um, there's this a lot is so of... interesting because I know that when, when we end this conversation, I re I'm recording on Zoom, when we end this conversation and I uh, end this meeting, it's going to do this whole like compressing audio yep. and it's going to it's going to have this bar and I have to wait for it to compress the audio uh, yep. before it'll allow me to save it into a exactly. workable file. That's what it's doing. Yes, it's compressing it into something that so it goes through two steps It's the compression. So that'll be one form, one layer where it's basically taking all of the things it can reduce and putting it into smaller, a smaller size. There's a right. few. So the PCM of... file is enormous. Right. And then, well, well, in relative speaking for audio, yes, yes. Right. Um, compared to video, no, but yes. Right, right. But it's, I'm just trying to, to picture like, so when it's compressing, it's taking, basically, it's taking samples, right? Yep. It's pulling, it's using whatever algorithm has been given to it by Zoom to choose which pieces of the waves to. Keep? How to Am I close? <laughs> you are very close. You can honestly so there's a couple there's different ways to do compression algorithms. Sure. But like a simplistic way you can think of a compression algorithm. It's basically trying to take something where you have a lot of information and putting it into a smaller space. So I mean, you can even think of something that's like a code sequence like you know, if you had something that was like um let's say you had a sequence of letters that were like A A B A you can take out the duplicate A at the beginning by saying there are two A's here and just translate that into another uh, symbol that you right. represent, right? And then so that's a, you'd reduce it down to three symbols at that point. You just have to say A squared B A. And so like that's a very simplistic way of thinking about it, but that's what compressions algorithms try to do sure. is they try to reduce the complexity of the bitstream into something that's smaller and can be rehashed close enough back to the original. There are, so like when you hear things talk about like lossy compression, that's one of the cases where you will lose some of the fidelity. So yeah, talking about how um, you lose some of the accuracy or some of those higher uh, frequencies that you know people don't necessarily hear or they don't really impact the sound as much, that's another part that might get stripped out. Um, so whenever you hear something talking about that kind of stuff, that's what they're mentioning. It's not so much that by intention, the codecs or compression algorithms try to do that. It's just that 
we're trying to reduce the size. How do you do that without reducing the quality of the sound too much? And there is a threshold, like phone calls and Bluetooth. People don't care nearly as much compared to something that's like, you know, meant to be like a full on orchestra recording. You, right. you treat them differently. Right. And so that's why there are different compression algorithms. Some do better for certain things than others. And so because um, like a phone originally you needed to have very, very small packets, right, to be able to have everything go fast. And that's also what happens when you have latency and stuff like Zoom. It's because you have all this data that's coming in. If there's anywhere that there's a and going out to if there's anywhere in that pipeline that has, you know, not enough space or is too slow, that's that's what happens. So that's why the compression algorithm really does matter um, after the compression. It's going to be put into a container file, which uh, people are familiar with, like MP4s, MP3s. Those are container files. This is a way that you can contain, for lack of a better word, you can include like audio and video files or multiple audio tracks for the same video file. Um, that's kind of what that is the next layer. And that's the package with which it is delivered to wherever it's going. So, so like is there streaming... a difference between those, like an MP3 versus a wave? I'm never sure it's like... Which way, yes. which, what do you want to convert it to? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> they are Big different. One. Yes. Yes, they are. Um, Wave in general is better for audio, but MP3s are also, they're both high enough quality for generally what people want to do. Um, like MP4s versus like MP2s. Uh, there is a difference because like one's meant for streaming. One's meant for basically like something you'd have on like a, a USB drive or something. Yeah. So MP4s, so. isn't that video? That's what people think. But again, it's generally it's a container which houses anything. So it can be video. It can be subtitles, can be audio. Like that's what I'm saying is there's the package, then there's the compression algorithm, then there's the original data. So, well, if you're going in the reverse order, so to speak. Um, but you can literally think of like MP4s or um, MPEG-2 streaming formats as the thing that's used to deliver the thing that you just compressed to your consumer. Um, and anything that's done prior to that is interacting with the original data, if that makes sense. I think so. So um, so let's go to Wave. And I don't know why this is different, but um, I've heard of lossless Wave files. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm assuming that a lossless file is the opposite of what you just said, a lossy file. <laughs> yeah. So what that's talking about is the, again, it goes back to the compression algorithm. They're not going to strip out uh, the higher frequencies mm. is most likely what it means. I, I'm not like, I don't know every codec out there. Oh, by of hand, course. Yeah. <laughs> but what lossless generally means is it's talking about saying that instead of reducing taking out stuff that people don't normally care about we're going to sure. leave everything in sure and so for music that's probably important because of the harmonics generally yes but there are certain frequencies that studies have been done on that show that people really can't tell but there's you know there's always going to be people out there who feel differently it's like the difference between like you know there's some people who are diehard analog fans or somebody who loves vinyl records it's not yeah. that they're wrong they just have that thing that they really appreciate and you probably know this with audio people in general gearheads especially they get really really passionate about how they feel about their audio and that's just what they like and that's okay um so going back to your question about music in general yeah you want to use something that and this goes back to which algorithm which compression algorithm do you want to use yeah 
um, something that's lossless for something where you're like really care about the overtones is probably a better choice but something sure. for like a facetime call not so much um even zoom they generally don't have the same fidelity that you yeah. would probably want for like a full orchestra performance so to speak right for sure yeah um oh, so cool okay so file comes in gets compressed it's now in a package mm-hmm. now what happens <laughs> So from there, it depends on what content it is. So like if it's on a streaming platform, it's going to be the package is going to be some form of streaming uh, file type. And then so with streaming, it's a little different than a package file format that can be delivered all in one, right? Like the things that you can do in an all in one format is different than what a streaming situation can do because basically what happens in streaming is people want to start right away. They don't want to wait for the download, right? Right. And people get angry when the buffering bit is too That's long. That's true. Yesterday, I was trying to pull up my Pandora and it was taking forever and I got really yep. upset and I just switched to YouTube. <laughs> exactly. So what it's doing is that it starts to connect to a service hub, wherever it is, wherever. So basically what happens once you have that file, if it's going to be streaming, for example, it's posted somewhere digitally out there in the world. And then you as a consumer basically say, hey, I want to access this file. And so a request goes out and, you know, a bunch of other stuff happens related to security and stuff that I'm not going to get into, but and general internet protocol. But from there, you talk to the service hub and say, I want this piece of media. And the service hub is like, cool, you're good to have it. And then it starts sending packages of, so basically what happens with the streaming format, again, is that package is um, is broken up into little individual letters, sure. so to speak. And that's not really, that's not a technical term. I'm trying to more use it as a description. Yep. Rather than I sending, remember. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> rather than sending one big box, we're going to send individual, like, tinier boxes along the way is the idea. And so each of those packets can only depend on the previous packets that have already arrived, right? So you can't have it be like, so some compression algorithms and stuff uh, use, especially in video, use things like iframes or whatever that are important for um, future decoding. It's basically like, this is a very, audio doesn't really work this way as much, but video, uh, it's very important. You have like your starting frame and then everything else is dependent on it. And so because audio and video are generally shipped together, because that's very common, right? And that's kind of like where we started yeah. with, uh, dig- again, this is digital platforms. I'm not talking like radio so much because that's honestly not my forte. I don't think I could really talk about that. But um, when you're talking about streaming services, video and audio have been going together for a long time, yes. like YouTube, basically. Yes. How, how old is that? So, um, yes. Anyway, so with all of those things being de- sent separately none of you have to be very specific about the prior dependencies or if you lost a package like for example if you only got like you sent the service hub is going to send 100 packets and you only got 98 or something and you lost like two of them your um, individual packets and compression inside of those packets has to be able to function well enough and so that's the kind of stuff that happens when you get like audio dropouts or frozen frames. It's because 
you've lost data and the the thing that's using it so like youtube or spotify is doing its best to just kind of recover and uh let you continue experiencing whatever service that you are um does that make sense yes it does this is so fascinating (laughs) (laughs) good uh um where does hardware come into that we thought you mentioned gearheads and mm-hmm. i know a lot of them <laughs> yeah i am not one but i know a lot of them and like you said respect that uh and they will go on and on about sensitivities um specifically of microphones or the quality of the data coming in um how much do you interact with that or how much do you know about how how much that actually affects the sounds that like because it sounds like limitations mm-hmm. can happen at any point in this process like yes oh yeah i can have a better microphone but it's irrelevant if my um or if the what did you call it the container is not mm-hmm. capable of receiving that high quality right. so I mean? so hardware definitely comes into this yes so talking about the original data creation which which microphone you yeah. pick absolutely can matter um so remember talking about sample rates yes and like so it's not just about so okay a microphone in a very simplistic sense is literally basically this thing that has a magnet on it that moves and fluctuates with the wavelength and then those individual pulses are what's recorded and what creates that again that the uh, wave sequence that we talked about earlier um so different microphones are better at different things right so like if we talk about being able to pick up different frequencies or you know have a bigger range of what they can take and even what you know what their max sampling rate is like that's all part of something that comes into this some of the like cheaper stuff and like it also even comes down to like the believe it or not the hardware going into your system itself the connector cables so like mm-hmm, usb mm-hmm. mics um firewire is an older format that not that many people are using now but it was the big thing at the time for audio people um so yeah that's stuff into like when you're talking about doing actual recording you've got your nine pin connectors you've got like all of this stuff comes into play in the sense of like how much of that that original wave can you capture and not just that wave but whatever other stuff is happening so those overtones those especially talking about voice or music like having the ability to capture all of it totally depends on and, and this is just the start this is just the beginning of the microphone yeah um and that's why, I mean, this is also why digital sound, like, uh, you know, stuff that's just made by a computer does sound different is because it's, uh, you're never going to have the full sine wave experience or not sine waves. I keep saying that, the or, like, you're never going to have the exact wave like experience you do in real life, period. Um, and that's why, you know, specific notes, like if you hit an A in certain programs sounds like way goofier than what you can hear out in the real wor- world, so to right. speak. Um, so that is literally just the beginning of this process right and you hinted at it is like the packets and stuff or whatever that's happening and there are so many steps along this whole way that things can change or be done be done differently mm-hmm. um, operate differently and also fail differently 
Um, and that's also goes back to how many audio codecs are there out there? There's a lot. Let's just put it that way. How many different packet container types are there? There's still quite a lot. Um, and then coming back on the other side, whatever's playing it back. Um, there's also how many different hardware pieces are there? How many speaker types are there out there? Like there's right. so many. Yes. Yeah. And so um, because that's a whole nother thing. Again, this is a podcast. I have been learning about you know, audio and how, how fancy, I mean, you can gearhead into it. You can spend a lot of money, but ultimately most people are probably listening on their earbuds or in a car or, you know, in a, from a device that is likely not super high fidelity. I don't know. Is that the right way? Exactly. Phone speakers. Um, Yep. Yeah, versus if I'm going to sit and listen to an orchestra record, like, like something we're doing Mozart this this year, if I want to sit and listen to a really good recording, I'm going to play it on my really good speakers with my surround sound and all of that. Like that's a whole yeah. different uh, expectation and experience. Yes, exactly. Um, and that is 100% true. Part of that is down to the listener. This goes back to the gearheads. Yes. Sometimes gearheads really, really are passionate. Again, this is not a bad thing. It's just that's how they are. They're super passionate about, I must listen to all of my music on high fidelity speakers. It has to be this way, which is totally fine. And in a certain extent, they're correct. Like there, there is definitely, and you, I mean, pretty much most people can say this. There is a difference between your phone speaker and sitting in front of like a really nice pay, pair of, uh, you know, Fairfield monitors that you have on your desk or whatever, or even if you go to like a movie theater, right? Right. Those speakers are different than what you experience on a day-to-day life. Um, So yes, in short, it comes down to what the consumer is expecting. Yeah. And what their trade-off for the limitations versus the quality that they are willing to accept. Um, And that's also, I mean, even phone companies can get super into debating, oh, do we have the better speakers? Do we have the better camera? Like, this is all part of it. Right. Um, It's kind of funny if you think about it from just a consumer perspective, because, again, this goes back to why I'm passionate about what I do is that audio, like digital audio is literally all around us every single day. Um, It's used everywhere people just don't really notice it as much because the truth about audio is people don't notice it if it's working correctly right if it stops working that's when they care right but yeah (laughs) right phew how are you doing through all this technical stuff i really hope you're able to follow along because i found this fascinating Oh, and by the way, did you know that Bridget is a master of Krav Maga and passed an absolutely brutal test just before our interview? She's a fascinating woman, and if you're not getting my newsletter, you're going to miss out on some really fun side content. Head over to zeitgeistacademy.com to sign up now so you don't miss it. Now back to the interview. Uh, so what are audio drivers? That's a whole nother thing. Yes, yeah, so this goes back to your question about the hardware. So remember how we were talking about there's a bunch of different microphones, there's a bunch of different speakers? Well, the truth is each of those, so okay, the layer between hardware and software is called a driver. That's true for anything. When you're talking about audio drivers, it's just related to stuff that's related to sound. So your microphone or your speakers. Um, And so 
because of the fact that there are so many different companies and stuff out there that make different microphones or speakers, you have and but your computer is only right. one. It only right. understands what it knows. And so you have to have a way for it to talk to these pieces of hardware. And that's where the audio drivers come in, is that you can swap them out. Basically, the audio drivers take what the hardware understands and converts it into something that the computer operating system can understand. That's its function. So and this is, it's like a translator yes. at the level of, so the, okay, just going back to, what'd you call it? The PM? PCM. 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 <laughs> so my, the microphone's picking up the wave. It's putting it into this PCM file. Is is that what the driver then takes and translates? So at the stage where the audio drivers come into play, the data is generally already in bytes. So, okay, it depends okay. on which way you're going. If you're going from the, the the file format out to a speaker, for example, it's already in bytes. Okay. Sure. So basically you just take that data and for the audio driver's perspective, you basically write it to its buffers and then the uh, audio driver itself is the thing that does the translation out to the hardware. Okay, so you just said this word, buffers, and it, mm -hmm. we've all had the experience where it says buffering. What oh. is that? <laughs> uh, those are different things. Uh, okay. Buffering, well, they are and they aren't. So when you see something like in a streaming service, it says buffering, it's talking about, um, hold on, we're going to go get more data. Like, that's pretty much what it's saying. Okay. Um. And it's kind of the same as what I say when I say buffers is that basically there's a set amount of memory on your system that the hardware has access to and the audio drivers that it can then uh, take the data. And, and it's, so we were just talking about the file formats. So basically what happens is the operating system takes the file, uh, takes it out of the package, takes it out of the... Um, compressed algorithm. So now it is that PCM. It's those individual bytes, bits that we were just talking about. And that is what's then transferred to the hardware. So that is done via having this memory space that's basically like, here, put your memory or your audio data here, and I will now play it out to the speakers, essentially. Sure. Um, and that is the kind of work that I currently do for a living. Um, is I where I'm the level right above the audio drivers where I'm taking everything from the rest of the system and pushing it out to the speaker or, or vice versa coming from the microphone to the rest of the system. So you work with the drivers, the layer above it, the layer above so, it. So yeah, because the you can think of the drivers, your word of translator is perfect. Each driver is a unique translator. I'm the layer above that that says, okay, I'm taking everything that's been converted to a language my computer will understand and putting it out to the rest of the system. So wherever it goes from there, maybe it's for, uh, you know, Spotify, maybe it's for um, FaceTime or whatever, or Zoom, whatever you're using at that time, um, that's the layer that in which I work in the operating system. Yeah. So um, does Are that those answer all your... different? <laughs> Every yeah. platform different? Uh, yes. I mean, each operating system is different in fu fundamentally anyways. Um, you know, that's why there's not, you don't see a ton of uh, smaller brand names or smaller names yeah. for operating systems. People do make them. 
Yeah. Uh, they're just not super common. And this goes back to usability and, you know, support across. It's a lot easier to have one operating system that you support or whatever. Um, and this also goes down to the debate between like Mac and Windows or whatever is that uh, one of the benefits of like Apple and Mac is that uh, you have dedicated hardware and you have a dedicated software working together to create a certain level of um, experience that basically we're trying to guarantee. Uh, Windows and stuff, the cool thing about that is that it's a little bit more flexible. You can like trade out pieces of hardware a little bit easier, be a little bit more customizable, but you lose a certain standard of it's going back to how much variety there is out there. Um, it's a little less uh, consistent in what you might get at the end. You might get a superb product, but you also might get something that's not as great. Like it's just it's not saying it's a bad thing. It, like I said, it's more customizable in a certain right. way to whatever you like. Um, so yeah, this all ties together, believe it or not. It, I know it sounds weird, <laughs> but it's true. It all comes no, together. It absolutely does. Um, so then let's go back to, so let's talk about audio snobs. Are, are you an audio snob? First of all? Yes and no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is like, i know enough to know what it is and i care about it to a certain extent there are certain things that are absolute pet peeves for me like but what? most of the time like audio artifacts in shows can really drive me up a wall like what if there's a mean? show like if there's a bad mix or something where like you have like um timings off like have you ever watched something where like sometimes that's actually because of the uh streaming service messing up like that does happen but there's also just sometimes where it's a bad mix. Like maybe you have something where the voice is too low and the background is like completely blowing up. Like you can't even understand what they're saying or whatever. Yeah. Like it's that kind of stuff. Uh, stuff like that is kind of a pet peeve for me. I had this one time where I was watching a show with my roommate, uh, an old roommate of mine who still want, still is my best friend to this day. She uh, really loves the show. And the audio cues for the scene that was coming up were like five or six seconds before. And so it was like total peaceful, total peaceful. And then like horrible, everything's going bad music, but the screen hadn't oh, no. changed. Like there wasn't anything yet. And then like five <laughs> seconds later, it became like, uh, you know, something bad was happening. And like it made sense from the storytelling, but it was just like, that is a huge gap. You have literally just made me, somebody who listens to audio, freak out five seconds ahead of the drop. And it was somebody's <laughs> choice to do it that way. That wasn't that was an actual mixer's choice. It wasn't delay. It was somebody decided to make it that way. Right. So stuff like that does bother me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but other than that, I mean. To me, the truth is a lot of the time is uh, gear and stuff can get super expensive. Yeah. And there For is a certain. Real. Yes, it can. There is a threshold. To me, there's a threshold of like, how much is it worth it uh, versus what am I getting out? Because like, like we were just talking about, a lot of people are fine with just listening to stuff on their phones. Like, that's just how they are. And I mean, the truth is most of the time it's good enough at what it does that it'll get you going. Um, it just it's just how much you care about the other details past that, right? Um, and so there is some truth to it. I don't know that I'm that far on that spectrum. Let's sure. Put it that way. Yeah. So when when you, what types of things would in this process would be the most impactful for calling something like a high quality sound versus not? Uh, in a certain way, that's subjective. I hate to say. Sure. It. 
but like it you know it depends on the so like one of the things the, the simple stuff you can look for is kind of what i started talking about at the beginning your sample rate right that's what is, everybody talks about sample rate yeah. is your that the bit, main thing it's one of the big things your bit length so going back to that how many uh individual samples can you know so that bit length so like if you see 32 bit it's pretty common now some people do 64 or 16 still um that's another thing to be aware of um and then it past that it's going to be probably specific on your individual needs so like um different compression algorithms cut out different things so like they'll cut out higher or lower tones um, and that's why you have different compression algorithms for depending on what you're trying to do. The compression algorithm being used on Zoom right now, for example, is going to be different than something that you would have in like a DAW. Um, well, unless you use the DAW to have a plugin that allows you to do that. But you can understand that the the point of like a recording system where you're trying to do like music tracks is different. And so the compression that's used is going to be different, most likely. I mean, you could use the same. It's just you're going to have a better quality experience if you find something that's more curtailed to your specific needs. Right. Yes. Um, I could literally talk to you for another hour after this, but <laughs> uh, can we talk really quickly about surround sound? I mean, we can even be just like super, super basic and just talk about like this pair of headphones that I'm wearing sometimes like, how is it something with if i just have these two earbuds how can i hear directional sound <laughs> is that something you even work it's something that just oh, yeah. blows my no. mind and i'm like how how can i hear well, a sound coming from upper left hand corner of the ceiling like like it's so really, directional yeah. but absolutely i just have these two you know <laughs> these two no it's okay yes. it's amazing yes. it's amazing it's amazing uh honestly that's uh, that's one of the what you're describing is actually one of the driving factors of why I wanted to get a machine learning degree, but I will leave that as a tidbit for the end. Um, so three-dimensional sound, the way it works in real life is that everybody's ears are unique. Everybody's, they're basically, you basically have fingerprints in your ears. Like they're, your shape, Didn't the way it's that. built. Everybody's ears are different. They really are. But there are things that affect what goes into your ears. So like um, the things that are in your room, the space, and the fact that like, even if you have nothing around you, a sound, if it's like slightly over here, right? Uh, sorry, I'm putting it right out in front of my right ear, is going to hit my right ear geometry wise. It's probably gonna hit my right ear before it hits my left ear, yeah. right? So that's actually how three-dimensional sound works and why you can pick up a direction is because your brain receives this wavelength at different times. And so it's like, oh, okay, based on what's around me, and this is also why sometimes your ears can get tricked is because they're like, what, where, where is it actually coming from? Is because all your brain does is it takes the timing of the difference between it hitting one ear and the other and correlating it with what the your past experiences have been so to speak wow um and this is you know go i can't get into the like the biology of what your brain does but like there's a lot more stuff there and there's a lot more stuff in the physics world related to like textures and stuff like that but like at a very high level that's what's happening when you hear a sound and are like oh it's over there um okay so then when you're talking about digital world so there are 
a couple things you can do. The thing that's been around for a long time is something called like panning and delay. So panning is, so going back to the wavelength, you can pan to a specific uh, speaker, right? Your right or left to say, right. I want the sound form or waveform to come out of this speaker or not that speaker or, you know, partially out of this speaker. Like you can do that. So that's basically what panning is. And then the delay goes back to how quickly does it hit a ear, right? And so between those two things, that's the uh, older way of trying to create three-dimensional sound. So can I take this and make sure I'm understand? So uh, when I, again, I, when I edit this audio, not so much with Zoom, but if I have um, an in-person interview, we'll have two microphones are plugged in. I have a right and a left, right? So that's stereo. There's, I can either have it coming out of right or left, or I can convert the file to mono. And I'm assuming that just means equal, right? Half right, yeah, half so, left for all sounds. Well, it depends on which stage you're doing it in. So some microphones, yes, have the ability to do right, left on them. Um, and that's just how it's written right. the file. And these would be two separate microphones. Okay. So two separate microphones that are in the same room. So there's going to be potentially some background sound that comes in crosses. Yes, it's and very that's actually, annoying, and I have to edit that out too. <laughs> that's actually why for recording, generally, you put your musicians in separate boxes, actually, yep. so that yep. you don't have yep. that pickup in the background. Um, but related to if you wanted to... So basically what would happen is the if you're creating... Like, let's say we weren't in the same room. Like, we're right. here. Yes. and somebody got this file and wanted to make it sound like we were in the same room, then yes, basically we'd have our two mono tracks or whatever, most likely. It, and so, okay, Zoom puts it all into one file, I'm assuming, yep. right, when you export it. Yep. Re in reality, those are probably two different streams, two different uh, pieces of audio, even if it's all compressed into one thing. Like, that's yeah. really what's happening under the hood. So... If somebody were to take those individual waveforms, they could absolutely put one to the right and one to the left right. in the mixing process. That's where mixing comes in. So right. you've got your recording, mixing, mastering, production. Like that's another, that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yeah. So like you could do that kind of stuff and you could add that delay and that panning to make it sound like it's that by the, you know, multidimensional sound. Um, and so that's, how that would work if that was something you wanted to do talking about removing the artifacts if you're in the same room it's the same thing but in reverse is you have everything in the same all compressed into the same space or whatever and now you've got to try and have a way of using tools to extract it again that's technically the mixing process even mm -hmm. if it doesn't feel like it um so yeah that's how three-dimensional audio has worked for a long time in more recent years and so so i should say this isn't necessarily super new the concept of uh head related transfer functions have been around for like 50 plus years and so the idea of limiting sound to specific speakers and delay and panning like that actually still has some downsides right like the thing is that when you create a stream like that it's fixed it can't move around and like if you have you know people have different setups in their home especially with right. media right oh yeah your speakers are at different positions your phone speaker is different than like your tv speakers like that's the truth of it and so if your mix is set to operate in a certain way with panning and 
uh, delay, it's baked in. It's permanent. Sure. So you can't change and better fit an environment to produce a better three-dimensional sound. And so it'll probably be something that you're like, oh, yeah, it was supposed to kind of come from over there, but it's like not really right anymore, right? Yeah. So the idea of HRTFs has been to more create something that's more flexible and unique to your ears. So, and there's still some controversy with that too, but HRTFs try to basically take sounds and model them based as objects in space in the uh, the data and then allow those individual objects to be, uh, basically think of it like another layer. Out yeah. of the compression, there's a way to say between the hardware and the system, uh, what would be the position accurately for this if I wanted this to render at a specific location in space or as close as That's you can get? Yes. So, so that would be a driver thing, right? A translator thing that the driver would have to kind of everything. Would have to tell the operating system this is the system. My that configuration. Is, this is my configuration. I have Twelve speakers, or I have three speakers, or I have. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this is all together. So the driver is the part that goes directly to the hardware, but there's probably another layer above that, even before me in the operating system. That's like, okay, we understand that there are twelve speakers in the room. And the room is, you know, 10 feet tall, uh, 10 by 10, whatever, like, you know, like that kind of thing. And um, it, from there, there's going to be different. There, there are more steps. There's more post-processing is what you can think of that happen here to take that audio and make it so that those eventual bytes that are written from the operating system to the hardware itself are configured to create the sound in the space. Right. So what HRTFs do is they uh, try to simulate the same stuff that I was just talking about of like what your brain does uh, with sound, where it's trying to figure out the location um, based on your head shape, your ear shape. And that's why the downside of HRTFs is right now most algorithms use a general form. Uh, and, and like you I said earlier. have to start somewhere, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like I said it earlier and this is why some like have you ever tried um a, a like an audio mix that like has been designed for um three-dimensional sound i have no idea i i would recommend it it's very interesting it's how very would you even different. do that um so like it goes back to you could have some that are done doing panning absolutely mm -hmm. but something that's done with an hrtf is different and it's more accurate tends to be it's also, again, more flexible to be able to fit better for an environment, depending on your, your codec that you're using, your compression system. So the, these things all play together. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've listened to, I've had very immersive moments with music where where you the like you'll close your eyes and you'll feel like you're spinning or like something is spinning around you you know like that's i don't know if that's that's probably not the the tech that you're talking about but that's an experience that i've had where it's it yeah it's not like quite it's... the tech but at the same time what you're describing is a way of music kind of doing something similar yeah. um like if the uh let's say the composer wanted that to be uh the the experience it's, I can tell some when I can tell it's intentional, which is most of the time it's not just like some like my speaker going out or something in one ear. Yeah. It's like 
it's like a whisper will happen like slightly behind my my right ear. Okay. So or... something like that's probably done using panning. It's probably less likely to be trying to imitate your world. It's very HRTS are very similar to what your eyes or what uh, uh, 3D movies do hmm. where they're trying to like, you know, trick your brain into seeing something coming out. It's very similar with an HRTF. Um, and so going back to it being a generalized form is the truth is sometimes they don't sound quite right. Um, because you're like, your head is different from somebody else's. Like I said, your ears are in different locations. They have different, uh, structures. Yeah. And so, um, going back to the machine learning tidbit I talked about earlier, probably the best way to actually have an immersive experience for people is to have something curtailed specifically to a unique user. So if you had a system that was well-trained and smart and good, so a good machine learning learning algorithm that could take some user inputs uh, or learn over time from some user inputs to create a more immersive experience where you have three-dimensional audio, just imagine the stuff that you could have for them to be able to play with. Um, you know, could affect video games, could affect media in general, movies. Yeah. Um, and even just stuff like Spotify, if they again, this does come back to the service or whatever providing the ability to interact with this stuff. Even if the hardware or operating system is capable of doing these things, if the content uh, producers don't allow for it, then it doesn't really matter. It's just going to go back to the default way of things, which is fine. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. Everybody functions quite fine with it today. It's just right. To me, it's one of those things that I get excited about because it's just thinking about the different ways that things can still be improved for media and tech and audio specifically. Um, so I was a little rambly. I hope that that still <laughs> no, answers your question. It was so interesting. <laughs> uh, again, I could easily spend another hour on this, but we do <laughs> have to wrap it up. I do need to ask you my final question. I ask every guest this. Um, do you know what zeitgeist means? I think I've heard it before, but I also don't want to be mis- or quoting the wrong thing. Sure, so no feel free to tell me. A lot of people don't. It's a weird word. Not a great business idea to name something after something most people can't pronounce, but uh, <laughs> I'll explain. Um, so Zeitgeist is um, a German word. It means spirit of the times. And it's kind of that feeling of like what it's like like right now with ai coming out like there's this very specific feel we're like excited and scared and like all of these things that will not happen like this is a snapshot in time right there's a feeling for what it's like to be alive right now and part of why like a big part of why i'm doing this this project at all is you can take that feeling and apply it to any point in history what was the zeitgeist because history is just this constantly evolving zeitgeist and if you can plug into you know even just thinking about audio sound you know when when records first came out that would have been a really transformative time to have music in your home that you could play whenever you wanted (laughs) like that would have been a very specific feeling in addition to you know nothing exists in a vacuum as well so the politics of the day inform the zeitgeist the gossip and the the scandals and all of that informs the zeitgeist so it's it's kind of a a word that refers to the feeling of what it's like to be alive at any particular moment. Um, taking that to the music side, I've coined what I call a zeitgeist moment where you're listening to music and you just plug in and it could be music from today or it could be music from uh, 200 years ago. Um, 
but it just comes alive for you and you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. Um, we've all had that moment. So uh, what was either a recent zeitgeist moment for you or a particularly memorable one? I think I have two. One of them's not really music though, but it's it is okay. sound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first, honestly, like, I think one of the first times, I can't even remember which movie it was. I want to say it was one of the Star Wars movies, but it was definitely John Williams soundtracks. Yeah. And just he having that, like, um, some of the, like, grandiose things that he puts into his music and the way that it makes, like, the ebbs and the flows. Like, I have to say that was definitely something that, like, I can feel, I can still feel to this day of being, like, connecting with the emotions tied to it. Yeah. One of the other experiences that, again, going back to being fascinated with audioscapes and immersive experiences, um, uh, this is going to sound weird. It's very specific. Uh, there was a horror game that came out in the 2000s. I think it was like 2008-ish, 2009 maybe, maybe even 2010s, um, called Amnesia the Dark Descent. Okay. And it's a horror uh adventure game where you're basically like you wake up in this like dungeon and you've completely lost your memory amnesia there you go and uh you don't know why you're there but like there's clearly something that's like not it's like lovecraftian-esque like it's a horror mystery kind of thing and like um basically as you're like exploring you can hear stuff and like hear where things are coming from and like um you know there's monster monster really monsters whatever things that are like trying to kill you trying to find you and so like the difference of it just being like a like if you for example if you mute that game and you just play it it's nowhere near as scary or as immersive as the audio that's yeah. tied to it because you're like going through and you're like trying to like find stuff or like find clues and you're just like oh my gosh this thing is gonna catch me oh my gosh I gotta hide like that kind of thing and you don't have that experience without the audio yeah um and so like there have been other cases like that I just feel like that one was a particular moment for me so I always think of that when it comes down to something related to immersive audio awesome I love it. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I learned so much and I hope my listeners did as well. Um, I really appreciate <laughs> thank your, you and your time. Thank you. Thank you. I hope I was able to answer all of your questions well. <laughs> oh, we didn't even get, well, all of my questions. I have like an entire page left of questions, but <laughs> you answered very, very well the ones that we were able to get to today. <laughs> thank you. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Zeitgeist Radio. To uplevel your musical journey and become a music student for life, join the Zeitgeist Academy by signing up for my bi-weekly newsletter. You'll get exclusive content, blog posts, and behind-the-scenes insights. I love putting it together, and you'll love reading it. Head over to zeitgeistacademy.com radio. That's Z-E-I-T-G-E-I-S-T academy.com radio. Music for this episode was created by Ian Boswell. Please hit that subscribe button and tell all your friends you found a cool new podcast. See you next time.